Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Uh, I just love storms. I can think of only one time in my life that a storm scared me. Normally, I love it, and the more intense it is, I don't know, for whatever reason, it gets my adrenaline pumping. But there was one time, uh, me and my brother were climbing uh, a mountain in New York. Uh, We were at close to the very top, above the tree line, and uh, the winds were just insane. I've never been in a storm like this. It was, it was the only time that I can remember, anyway, being frightened by a storm. I had to actually lay down in order to not blow away. Like, I would take a few steps and then lay back down because the, the winds were so intense. Basically crawling up to the top. That was the, that's the one time I can remember not enjoying a storm and wanting to be out of it as quickly as possible. Uh, this morning... Uh, We're continuing our journey with Jesus each week. We've been taking a section of Luke's gospel and working through it. And today we have a very familiar story. And if you grew up in Sunday school, especially as a kid like I did, uh, you're very familiar with this story. You probably saw it in a flanograph or something. And uh, it's the story of Jesus calming the storm. And this story is, is one likely you've heard of, and so as with any familiar text in the Bible, we want to try to approach it with fresh eyes, try to see what is there that I've maybe not seen before, uh, and don't just kind of write it off like, well, I already know that story, I know everything there is. We'll begin in verse 22, where Luke says, It came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. Now, notice here that Jesus is the one initiating the trip. Uh, He says, come with me, let's go over to the other side. He knows the storm's coming. Uh, And rather than avoiding it, he actually leads them into it. He wants this to take place. Mark adds some detail in his account of the same story. In chapter 4 of Mark, it says, When he had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. So this is not just one boat in the lake. Uh, There were several The larger one with Jesus and the twelve apostles, and then a few littler ships, perhaps, with other disciples. Uh, Here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee, Malachi, if you can advance that slide. Uh, That's what it looks like. So it's not not really a sea. We would call it a lake. Uh, In in the New Testament, it's called the Lake of Genesaret, the Lake of uh, Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee. It's all the same body of water. Uh, It's about 13 miles long and 8 miles across. Uh, I've stood on the shores of Galilee. You can very easily see to the other side. So I don't know. When I was young and I heard Sea of Galilee, I thought, you know, huge ocean, not at all. Uh, it's It's a, you know, relatively small lake. It happens to be the lowest freshwater lake in the world. And it's the second lowest lake uh, at all in the world. The the only one lower is the Dead Sea. Uh, At at its deepest, it's 140 feet. Uh, Like I said, it's about eight miles across from the distance that they were traveling. And so Jesus and the disciples are leaving Galilee. They head to the other side, known as the country of the Gerasenes. Uh, There's also a city there called Gadara, so sometimes you'll hear it referred to either way. Uh, This is the region directly below. If you see in the distance, those are the Golan Heights. Uh, maybe you heard about those in the news. A lot of uh, fighting goes on there. Uh, but that particular region is what, where they're headed to. Luke tells us in verse 23 that Jesus, as they're sailing, he fell asleep in the boat. Uh, this wasn't a small canoe like it's sometimes pictured. This was a larger uh, sailing vessel. We know that for one thing because of the verb tenses that are used. This boat was a sailing boat. It wasn't something you rode in. And so Mark says that Jesus was in the hinder parts of the ship, asleep on a pillow. He adds that detail. And... Uh, 
I, I think Jesus slept during the storm, perhaps to show that he is in complete control of this storm. He's not worried about it at all. Uh, he knows what he's going to do, and so he goes to sleep. But in verse 23, it says, as he's sleeping, that there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is known for uniquely being prone to very sudden and violent storms. Uh, there's hills all surrounding the Sea of Galilee, so it's sort of like a bowl, uh, and so you can't see the storm coming. You're sitting there on the lake, and then all of a sudden, the weather just changes, and, and the wind starts howling. This was one such storm, very violent, very sudden storm that came upon their boat. And the ship was filling with water. Waves are coming over, and they can't bail the water out as quickly as it's coming in. And so uh, they're starting to freak out, wondering if the ship might sink. Verse 24, they come to Jesus, who is still asleep, and they wake him up, saying, Master, Master, we perish. By the way, I doubt the disciples uh, stopped and, you know, selected one of them, uh, had a little committee and decided, okay, I want you to go talk to Jesus. And then he comes over and kind of pulls on his shoulder a little and says, I I'm sorry to disturb you, uh, but some of the others are really afraid right now. And I'm, I'm cool with it, but I was nominated to come ask you if, if you would intervene. No, this was a complete panic. Uh, they all at once are rushing to Jesus, scared for their lives and saying, Jesus, would you help? Would you do something? In fact, if you look at uh, the three accounts of this story, in Luke they say, Master, Master, we perish. In Mark they say, Master, carest thou not that we perish. In Matthew they say, Lord, save us, we perish. I don't think that's a contradiction. I think they said all three and probably a whole lot more. I think they're all talking to him at once, saying, do something. The rest of the verse says, Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Jesus stands up, he's been asleep, fast asleep, and he stands up and rebukes the storm. We know from the other accounts of this story that the, the exact words he said was, peace be still, and instantly the wind stopped and the waters were perfectly still. And then Jesus turns to his disciples in verse 25 and rebukes them. He says unto them, where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, what manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water and they obey him. And Jesus asks them, where is your faith? Now we're going to return to that in a minute because that question is really the main point of the story and the main application for us today. But I want you first to notice the reaction of the disciples at the end of verse 25. They were just panicking about the storm, thinking they're going to die, our ship is sinking. Jesus calms the storm and instead of being relieved, the disciples' fear intensifies. Only now they're not afraid of the storm outside the boat, they're afraid of the guy in their boat. Uh, Luke says they were afraid and they wondered. Mark's account says they feared exceedingly. It's interesting, if you compare in Mark, it says they, they, were, they feared the storm, and after Jesus calmed the storm, they feared him exceedingly. Uh, so they were even more scared of Jesus. And they say, what manner of man is this? Even the wind and water obeys his command. Now that's the right question. Uh, that's the question that each one of us should be asking as we approach the story. What kind of man is this? What is this account showing us about Christ? That's the question that must be asked in light of such a spectacle of divine power. And the answer is that this man is God. Uh, only God has the authority to command nature and expect obedience. In Psalm chapter 107, it says, They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. So you see, God is the one who commands the storm 
to begin with. Uh, God's the one who directs this storm. Verse 6, they mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble, referring to the waves going up and down. Uh, Verse 27, they reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man. You can picture uh, the sailors in this boat as they're they're trying to to keep their footing as their their ship is uh, being tossed by these waves. They're at their wit's end. Verse 28, then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. And he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Who's the one they cry to? It's the Lord. And notice the word Lord is in all capital letters, which in in the Old Testament, whenever you see that distinction, when it's in all caps, that signifies uh, the personal name of God, Yahweh. And so in Psalm 107, the one who brings them out of their distresses is God. Uh, God is the one who makes the storm calm. God is the one who causes the waves to be still. And so the disciples are looking at Jesus now, and perhaps for the first time they're realizing uh, not only is he the Messiah, he is God. Uh, This is God in our boat. The Bible does not leave you the option to say that Jesus was simply a good man or a moral teacher. The New Testament over and over makes the claim that Jesus was not merely a human being, but that he was God in flesh. And we can't read this as some sort of uh, metaphorical literature as though maybe this is just a Jesus signified God or something. Because Luke, if you remember, way back in March when we started this, uh, the very first week we looked at the first section of Luke's gospel and he says that he's writing to give us a historical account of things that took place. These are not metaphors, these are real events in the life of Jesus. These are things that had been um, given to Luke by eyewitness accounts that had seen this and verified the veracity of these stories. And so the Bible makes very plain in this text, as well as many others, that Jesus is God. The disciples were no longer afraid of the storm, but they were afraid of the man who calmed the storm. They were realizing who this was, and they were terrified to be in his presence. And so, ironically, by calming the storm, Jesus intensified their fear. They're more terrified of being in the presence of God than in the middle of a storm. I want to return to the question that Jesus asked the disciples after calming the storm. Mark records it this way. He said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Now, at one level, the answer should be obvious, right? They're fearful because they're in the middle of the storm and their boat is sinking. Uh, why is he even asking this? But notice how he asks it. He pits fear against faith. He says, You're full of fear because you have no faith. Uh, your, your fear is revealing a lack of faith. And he seems to think that the disciples should have known better. They've already seen Jesus perform miracles. Remember, it was on this very lake that Jesus had caused the fish to come to Peter's net, that abundance of fish that he had caught after fishing all night and catching nothing. Uh, So they knew that he had power over nature. They had seen him heal sick people and cast out demons many times at this point. And so Jesus seems to think that they should have trusted him. They should have had enough faith in him to not be afraid of the storm. Uh, Back to the key verse in Luke 8, 25, he says to them, "'Where is your faith?' And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and water, and they obey him. Where is your faith? That could be taken a couple of different ways. It could mean, where is your, where is your faith? As in, uh, what are you placing your faith in? Uh, you're clearly not trusting me, so what is your faith in? Is your, is your faith in yourselves as, as though you're rowing enough or you're bailing water enough is going to get you out of this? Uh, It could mean, you have faith in me. You've seen me perform miracles. Now, where is your faith in me? As in, uh, use the faith you have. You trust me. I know that you have faith in me. You've seen me do these things. Uh, Get your faith out. Use it. Trust in me. Sometimes you and I can trust in Jesus' ability to do something in general, 
But when it actually involves our lives, that faith disappears. We trust Jesus' ability over nature until we're the one in the storm. Uh, when it's our boat, when we're the ones sinking, all of a sudden our faith vanishes. Why do we panic during circumstances like this? At this point, I, I want you to think about your own life and think about scary situations perhaps that God has led you through in the past. It could be a loss of a job that caused fear or a scary uh, health diagnosis, whatever it might be in your life, something that you weren't ready for, something that caught you off guard, something that scared you. Why do we tend to panic, just like the disciples, when our faith is tested? I think there are at least a couple of reasons. Number one, we panic because we don't have enough faith in Jesus' power, which really just means we don't understand who he is. Uh, we don't recognize that he is God, that he is in control of everything. I think that's one reason that the, the disciples were terrified after Jesus calmed the storm. They had seen him do some impressive miracles in the past, and they knew that he wasn't uh, an ordinary guy, but they hadn't come to realize that this was the God who created the universe. Because if they realized who Jesus was, they would not have panicked. I mean, do you, do you really think God is going to die in a storm uh, that, that he has control over? Of course not. And so this reveals that they did not understand the power of Christ. They didn't understand that he was the God of the universe. We tend to forget who Jesus is. Uh, we perhaps don't understand the sovereignty of God, that he is in control of everything, including the circumstances of our lives. Nebuchadnezzar said in Daniel chapter 4, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? God has ultimate power, Nebuchadnezzar is saying, over everything in heaven and everything on earth. No one can stop him from doing what he wants to do. Paul wrote something similar in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. God works everything according to his purpose. I'm going to read a passage from Isaiah 45. I want you to listen carefully as God talks about his power, his control over everything. Isaiah 45, beginning in verse 5. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil or calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Drop down, ye heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open. And let them bring forth salvation. Let, and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherds strive with the potsherds of the earth. Let the clay say to him that fashioned it, What makest thou, or thy work? He hath no hands. Woe unto him that saith unto his father, What begettest thou? Or to the woman, What hast thou brought forth? Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and his Maker, Ask me of things to come concerning my sons, and concerning the works of my hand, command ye me. I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens, and all their hosts have I commanded. We panic during circumstances beyond our control because we think they're beyond God's control as well. We don't understand his power, that God is sovereign over everything in the universe, including what happens in our lives. I think there's a second reason that we tend to have fear instead of having faith. The disciples display this as well in Mark's account. When they come to him in the hinder part of the ship, he's asleep on a pillow. They wake him up and they say, Master, carest thou not that we perish? See here, they're not just doubting that Jesus has the ability to save them. They're doubting if he really cares about them. 
We panic during storms because we don't have faith in Jesus' love. Maybe we believe he's in control. We believe he has the power to change our circumstances, but we doubt his compassion. We don't trust that he cares about me, that he's doing what's best for me. So we don't trust his power or we don't trust his heart. Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. If you're a lover of God who's been called according to God's purpose, which just means that you're a Christian. Those are code words, if you will, for being a follower of Christ. And if you are a true follower of Christ, everything in your life is God at work. Uh, That's the promise of Romans 8.28. Nothing is meaningless in your life. Every trial that God sends you through, through is accomplishing good for you. Now that good is defined in the next verse as conformity to Christ's image, meaning I can't just uh, think that when God leads me through a storm, somehow everything's going to turn out okay for me from my perspective. It means that when God leads me through a storm, it's to make me more like him. The storm is not torture, it's strength training. Uh, Sometimes it's chastisement. Uh, Both of those feel like torture sometimes. I remember some coaches that I had that I I thought were torturing me because they made me uh, run excessive amounts or do push-ups or whatever. Uh, That may feel like torture for a time. But actually, it's intended to make you stronger. And the reason a loving parent may spank a child isn't to abuse them, but to correct them. It's for their good. And in the same way, everything God does to us is for our good. That's what Romans 8 is saying. So to wrap up, I want to look at a few points of application from this story of Jesus calming the storm. What what are some takeaways for us? Number one, we can trust that if Jesus can control a storm, he can handle our problems. Uh, He is God, and he is in control of everything. Number two, we can trust that Jesus not only has the power to control our circumstances, but also that he is working for our benefit. In other words, he is in control and he is compassionate. Number three, if God is in control of everything and you know that he loves you and is seeking your good, stop looking at the waves. I think sometimes we don't have faith in trying times because we're looking at the storm instead of the Savior who controls the storm. The disciples were afraid during the storm because they lacked faith in Christ. They were appropriately afraid after the storm because they realized who Jesus was. And so maybe a point to end on this morning would be don't fear the storm, but instead fear Christ. There is a sense in which we are to fear God. And that fear of God should lead to obedience. Uh, Exodus chapter 1, this is the story where the Hebrew midwives were commanded by Pharaoh to kill all of the male babies. They wanted to basically control the population. It's honestly not very different from some of the abortion laws in our world today. Uh, But they were trying to control the population of the Israelites by uh, murdering any of the male babies that were born. In verse 17 it says, But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. They were ordered to do this by, by Pharaoh, but they feared God more than they feared the king of Egypt. And so they obeyed him instead of Pharaoh. Fearing God is almost synonymous with obeying God because if you truly fear him appropriately, if you have uh, respect for his power and his control over everything, uh, that should lead to obedience. Deuteronomy chapter 10 says, Now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. And so there you see, fearing God leads to walking in his ways. Book of Ecclesiastes is all about finding purpose for life. If you ever read through it, it's a fascinating book where a very wealthy and powerful man is seeking purpose. He's wondering, why am I here? Uh, And he seeks to find uh, meaning in life in various ways, wealth and power and achievements, things of that nature. 
At the end of the book, though, the author says this, let, it, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. We are to trust God and we are to fear God, and that fear of God should lead to obedience. It came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake, and they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. They came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Fear God, not the storm. And if the wind and waves obey Jesus' words, we ought to as well. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help each one of us as we've looked at this brief account in your life and ministry that's had such a profound impact upon so many, that you would help it to once again, once again remind us of who you are, uh, that you are the God of the universe, that you are the creator, and that you have ultimate power and control over everything that takes place in our world. I pray that we would trust that and that we would also trust your heart for us, that what you do for us is for our good, that you don't torture us, you don't do things, you don't send us through uh, meaningless trials, but that you are accomplishing a greater work through even the things that we may not understand. And I pray, God, ultimately that you would help us to have the fear of God, that you would help each one of us to fear you and to reverence you and help that to lead us to obedience, help us to serve you as the ultimate supreme God that you are. I pray that you do this in each one of our hearts. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.